Welcome to Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Beyond with our guest, Rachel. Rachel, why don't you tell our audience a bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel, a lifelong fan of Star Trek. I grew up watching Next Generation and the original series movies. I have seen Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four way too many times to count. And I am a big Spock fangirl, mostly New Trek Spock. I am also the co-host of The Detective, The Doctor, and The Woman, and Wonking Out Podcasts by Three Sassy Reginas. Good. Now, um, Wonking Out is you guys just pick topics that you get excited about, right? So the topics vary a lot. And then The Detective, The Doctor, and The Woman... Remind me again what the focus is on that one. So The Detective, The Doctor, and The Woman began as a Sherlock Holmes podcast and has expanded to include other television shows that have a detective, a doctor, and a woman as main characters. We have so far discussed the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movie, the first series of BBC's Sherlock, the first season of Orphan Black. Those episodes are dropping currently we will be covering the first season of elementary and season one of winona erp in 2018 okay very good i i thought it was a sherlock podcast and then i saw stuff lately about orphan black so i was a little confused about that but it makes sense now that you're sort of applying the format more broadly now this week i think the only real announcements are that we are going to be on a break for Christmas next week, so there won't be an episode. And then the first week of January, we will be doing an episode recapping the first half of season one. So if you have questions or feedback or anything you want us to talk about or focus on, um, feel free to send that in over the next two weeks, either by email, a command of her own at gmail.com, or on Twitter at command of her own. I have absolutely no idea when or how I'm going to rewatch those episodes. I've already started rewatching a few. So, bloody da. Okay. Let's get into talking about the movie. How did you enjoy it, Kate? It was good. You know what? Uh that combined with another movie that I saw this weekend really exemplified how much projects get better after JJ Abrams abandons them. <laughs> I highly enjoy that perspective. Jumping off that, I'm going to do uh-huh. my best not to bring up The Last Jedi too much, but it okay. was really, really, really great, and you should all see it. That's that's pretty much yes. my feelings. No J.J. from sequel is fabulousness. Based on my Star Trek experience, I would 100% agree with that. <sighs> um, yeah. I've only watched Star Trek Beyond once, but so far I think it is my favorite. So I think I like this one better than the first movie from 2009. Hmm. I think I did too. It was very different. Mm-hmm. Well, I think out of out of the three, I think Beyond is my is my favorite. I I really enjoyed the 2009. The Into Darkness. I realized when I was rewatching it yesterday. If I pretend that J.J. Abrams never said, oh, it's not going to be a con movie, and then, you know, just kidding, yes it is. If I pretend that that never happened, I enjoy the movie more. It still has its issues, and Beyond is still my favorite. (laughs) But (laughs) I just kind of forget about some of that stuff, then... Then I can watch it. Yes. Like if J.J. Abrams could just stay quiet, things would be better. Yes. And Mm -hmm. generally, I actually, because I I really enjoy Lost. So I like J.J. Abrams projects. I like Lost. I love Fringe. But those are actually both projects that he was attached to at the beginning, but he didn't do the day-to-day and he didn't really do the writing 
Mm-hmm. And when they, you know, announced these movies and they're like, J.J. Abrams. And I was like, oh, I'll watch that because it's Star Trek and it's J.J. Abrams. But I definitely prefer this third one, which he was, you know, barely attached to. The third one, I think, also has the best written script. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm a Simon Pegg fan in general. So am I. Um, have you guys seen his uh, Coronetto movies? Shaun of the Dead? I've seen one of them. Okay. How about you, Rachel? I've seen Shaun of the Dead and, um, oh, you know, the other one. I think I even have it. Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz? Yeah. Um, I think I prefer Hot Fuzz between those two. I've seen Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And I have not actually seen, is it At World's End? Which is the one that Simon Pegg is, mm-hmm. like, a bigger part in. And I, it's not, I haven't not, I haven't, like, avoided watching it. I just haven't seen it. But I, I feel like I really need to go back and do that. <laughs> but I really enjoy them. Yeah, he, I've, I, I really enjoy the first two, like, the Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. And I've seen At World's End once, but I didn't quite enjoy it as much. But in in any event, yeah, I think you can really feel his his handiwork in the script here. Yes. And any time he wants to write a Star Trek movie, I will be behind that one hundred percent. I feel like I feel pretty much exactly the same mm-hmm. way. I think even watching it this time because I watched I feel like I rewatched Beyond a couple months ago and then I took it back um, to Indiana with me at Thanksgiving my dad had not seen it so we watched it again at Thanksgiving and then I just watched it again and whereas like if I had for some reason watched Into Darkness that many times I would probably be like I don't want to watch it again please don't make me watch it again but I was Delight. I was delighted to watch it again <laughs> yesterday, and I, I think I was you know trying to pay attention to you know, the differences this time, the things that I liked about it that were different than the other three, and I think, I want to say even the first time I saw it, I was like, this is like this is a fan movie. This is I won't say an homage, but this movie was written by someone that knows what they're knows what they're doing. They know Star Trek. They know these characters. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was my reaction in the theater, and that's my reaction every time I watch it. Yes, um, me and my husband had seen the first Star Trek movie, and so when he heard we were doing this, he was like, "Oh, maybe I'll try and watch the movies along with you," because he also hadn't seen Into Darkness and Beyond. But we both had exams, and. He has another exam still. So we watched Into Darkness together. We managed that one. And then I was trying to see if we could work it into the schedule to watch Star Trek Beyond together, but it just didn't happen. And so then he was checking with me this morning that I actually finished the movie last night because I also got interrupted a number of times by children. And I was like, yeah, I watched it. And he's like, oh, okay. And I was like, but I'll watch it again. Like once your exam's done, I will sit down and watch it with you again happily. And he was like, oh, okay, it's good then. I was like, yes. Yeah. Yes, I will watch it with you again. Um, not a, like, I would watch it today again if I had the time. So yeah. I really enjoyed it. Right off the bat, I'm going to point out that one of my major problems with Into Darkness was what felt like a pointless prologue. And I want to contrast that with how this movie started. Because it was the same sort of like, they're in the middle of a mission, mm-hmm. and it's got like this raising stakes. In this movie, they they backed it off and played it for the humor. Right. Um, but they still managed to have like an action sequence to begin it. But it was also plot relevant. Yes. Yeah. Like, they, they tied everything in. So that is how you get your action sequence and still manage to, like, get it all to fit together, which just is better writing. Yes. And I think another, 
another thing that this movie does really, really well is the humor. It does start out with some humor at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but the interjection of humor throughout this story, I feel is just so well done. It's, it doesn't feel awkward. It's not like weird, Mm -hmm. gross humor. It, it flows really well when it's an interaction between characters, they play off of each other very well. Like the, the Spock and bones scenes together are just, my, some mm-hmm. of my favorite parts, but like their humor together just feels really organic. And it feels mm-hmm. like, to me, it feels like the Star Trek original series movies. And that's one of the things that I enjoyed about those because now you can go back and go, oh my gosh, like the effects were really cheesy and the costumes were kind of bad and maybe the writing wasn't always stellar. But some of the, in- the, the character interactions and the humor is what I remember the most. Absolutely. Um, And even going back to the original series TV episodes, that's one of the things I remember enjoying about those was that Spock and McCoy had that tension and their dialogue naturally led to those comedic moments. So they were the perfect on-screen pair Mm -hmm. to be addressing a problem. And I loved how the movie set them up together as a team that they required each other to um, get their goals met and to solve the plot in this movie. It just worked so nicely. I enjoyed that the the humor wasn't about like making a character seem incompetent the way a lot of the like the Scotty based humor was in the previous ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and also I remember going in to see this movie and actually probably the first the first scene with Kirk and Bones when they're having a drink and I remember thinking I really wish that we were getting more of the Bones and Spock interactions which is one of my favorite things from the original series from the show and from the Mm -hmm. movies I I remember distinctly thinking you know I really miss that and then like 20 what 20 minutes half an hour later in this movie there it is. And I was just like, this is my favorite movie. I love this so much. And it just got better from there for me. Mm-hmm. I will point out that they did give some of those um, humorous character things. Instead of focusing on Scotty, mm-hmm. they seem to be shifted a bit to Kirk this time. And I mean, he had a little bit of that, I think, in the previous movies as well. Mm-hmm. But in this one, like, he was the one at the diplomatic mission when the, like, you know, gets swarmed by the little aliens. Yeah. And he was one of the ones who was, like, trapped in Jayla's trap, and then she broke them out, and he fell flat on his face. Like, he was set up more for those uh, physical humor moments, and I personally have no problem with that, because my feelings on Kirk being tortured are pretty well known (laughs) and clear. So it was actually kind of enjoyable for me to watch him, you know. It, al- it also works better with him because he also gets the big heroic moments where somebody like Scotty wouldn't necessarily get that as a contrast. Yeah, that is a great point. I think Chris Pine plays it well. Uh, he can handle the comedy and I think it seems believable. And I don't know if there was... You know, some, you know, previously, if they were just trying to keep, they were trying too hard to make this Kirk, like original series Kirk, who was sometimes just like, so, I mean, I freely make fun of William Shatner. A lot of people do, you know, he's just like, he's so into, you know, the seriousness of this thing and the way that he's feeling and, you know, don't make, you can't, you know, make fun of him on screen, but Chris Pine does it well like those moments of humor and like in the trap Mm -hmm. and that stuff it doesn't feel awkward to me and i think because the characterization with that actor i think you have to make those concessions when you're writing a script with with this actor with you know for a character that we've seen do other things you have to make some of those changes so that it feels organic to them and i think in this script they were able to do that Building off what you just said, Rachel, too, I think it's a good uh, modernization for Star Trek Mm -hmm. 
because in the original series, Kirk had this swagger, he had all this confidence, but that character is not going to connect to a modern audience anymore. So they still have Kirk being like this, like a naturally lucky person who gets to be the hero. But then that gets to be balanced because he also finds himself in these like, uh, you know, kind of ridiculous situations where he falls flat on his face. And so that helps to humanize the character and make him more accessible now. Yes. And the, the Kirk in these movies has grown on me more, for sure, because of that. I think the humor with Chekhov as well in this film, um, I think in in the some of the previous, the previous two, there were moments where they were just kind of like not, like they're not really sure what to do with the character. So like the jokes would be, you know, about his accent or that he's young. And some of the humor with him and Kirk, I think worked very well, which is another reason why it's just every time I watch this movie and he comes on screen, I always get a little, uh, a little choked up because I really feel like they had, they had some plans for that character (laughs) that we will not get to see uh, because of the, the death of Anton Yelchin. Yeah, I was. I liked how they paired up everyone in different sort of working groups, and we got to see in the previous movie like Kirk and Chekhov and Uhura and and Sulu and um, and Spock and Bones. That was all really well done, and and it really brought them. And then when they all sort of came together and worked together as a crew at the end, it all like it just felt better after them all being separated and not with their normal quote-unquote buddy yeah Mm -hmm. them being separated and working together i really liked like no matter where a crew person was they were assessing their situation looking for ways to solve the problem it was never waiting for so-and-so to run across the bay and solve like win the day everyone had something that they were actively working on, which feels very Star Trek for me. Mm -hmm. So I really liked how that, that played out with the movie. And then when they came together at the end, they were all instrumental um, in getting things done. It wasn't the one big hero. And that helped too, because that gave us those good checkoff moments where his character got fleshed out a bit. Um, I was happy to see how much filming they were able to do with him and with his character uhura got to kick ass again um like it felt like the crew all got much more time to be on the screen this time yeah i was a little bit sad that we didn't get much with kirk and spock together because i Mm -hmm. I like them together but i mean we've had the other two movies so yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's fine i think um the spock and bones was a good trade-off at least for me for not having that spock and kirk that we got in the other movies. Yeah, Spock, Spock and, 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 oh geez, Bones were great. Mm-hmm. I was glad to see so much Bones in, uh, in this movie. Uh, I think he is one of the uh, unsung characters of Star Trek. The, the older I get watching Star Trek, the more I like his character and the more I'm really realizing that he is such a catalyst for both Kirk and Spock. Yeah. Like he helps Kirk arc and realize things about himself and he gives him fatherly counsel. And it's partly him and Spock bumping up against each other that helps Spock through his stuff as well. So even though we didn't get lots of Kirk and Spock together, uh, I was totally okay with that because it meant that we got to see more of McCoy and more of his contribution. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that Carl Urban was once again fabulous. Oh, Carl Urban's once again fabulous, yes. Carl Urban is always yes. fabulous. Always, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no disagreement. Now, Rachel, do you want to talk a bit about the overall arc of Spock throughout all three movies? I would love to. As I previously mentioned I did watch Into Darkness and this is one of the reasons 
um, so that I could kind of track his his arc, some of his movements. Um, so I did watch 2009 a couple weeks ago, uh, right after you covered it on the podcast. I was like, well, I don't need an excuse to watch this movie, so I'm going to watch it. Mm-hmm. But um, And I think probably watching Star Trek, the 2009 Star Trek, um, kind of made me think, um, along those lines of his of his arc since I had recently seen Beyond. So I watched so I've watched them all three recently and kind of what jumps out to me is his characterization in two thousand nine is he's he's quote unquote very Vulcan and we see his clashing and bumping up against Kirk throughout that movie I think there's a lot of antagonism there you know to the point where when Kirk runs into Spock Prime um, and they have that conversation and he basically says you have to you, you have to make him emotional you have to emotionally compromise him and I remember the first time I watched that I was like are you kidding me that's like the worst possible thing you could do you know that poor guy I mean, and I think it worked okay story-wise. Like at the end of the story, I was like, okay, I get it. But I also, I also don't like it because I feel like that was really a, that was kind of a mean trick to pull on Spock. But where he was in his current headspace, that was kind of the thing that needed to happen. And I think maybe it was a little bit difficult for me because I've watched the original series movies so many times. And by the time you get to the original series movies, we've had you know years of friendship between. Kirk and Spock and in the 2009 movie they don't have that they don't have those years of friendship so you can't expect them to behave the same way that they behaved in Star Trek the motion picture but um so so Spock is I don't even know if I would say he's struggling with you know the Vulcan and human sides of himself at that point but there's some of that um interplay I think but at the end of that movie Kirk and Spock are in a good place with mutual respect. Though I do kind of feel that in Into Darkness, I think they they push Kirk back a little bit, personally, like with his emotionally. I feel like some of his behavior is just way too over the top. Like this is not the way that he should be behaving at this point in the first movie, but that he's not that person. He may still be young and inexperienced but he's not exactly that same person and he acts like he is which is one of my big issues with the movie but then also um as far as how that relates to Spock you know Spock admits that he has shut himself off emotionally so he shut himself off emotionally to Kirk and to Uhura because of the destruction of Vulcan and this is causing you know problems with his interpersonal relationships and his professional relationships and and I do find that very believable, you know, that, that this is some, this is something that this character would, he would react that way. Like that is believable to me. I mean, I don't have to like it. You'd be like, you're being an idiot, but I get why he was behaving that way. Um, and I feel like he's in a better place um, emotionally, I guess, at the end of Into Darkness. Um, and where he's to the point where he is comfortable admitting you know to Kirk you know he's you know, he does that you know that he's his friend and that he cares about the crew he cares about the captain that he's comfortable admitting that that he doesn't always have to be so Vulcan all the time which I think is kind of a a common theme I think from the original series that kind of pops up every once in a while like he's super Vulcan right now um, and then in this movie He's wrestling with a decision because he's decided that he should be involved in, you know, making little Vulcan babies, as Bones says, which obviously is going to affect his relationship with Ohura because she can't make Vulcan babies. So <laughs> that's kind of a, a non-starter. Um, where, you know, because at that point he's trying to think like a Vulcan. He's saying... You know, I have, I think he recognizes that it's a sacrifice. Like he understands that breaking up with Uhura is a sacrifice, but he feels that it's one that he should make because, um, you know, because of the state of his species, I suppose. So he's, you know, leaning towards that practicality. 
trying not to be emotional, but then he does say that he planned to have more conversations with her. So he's, he's a lot allowing his emotional side to interact with his Vulcan side to make this decision. Um, and then I think because of that and that vulnerable state that he is in when he and Bones have those interactions that are just fantastic when they're talking about seri- you know, the seriousness of you know, him dying or the decision that he's close to making of leaving Ohura and leaving Starfleet for the good of his people. And Bones is saying, you know, okay, sure, but that's stupid because you have to think of yourself as well. And he needs, Spock needs someone saying that to him. Someone that he's not in a you know, romantic relationship. He needs someone to say, it's okay to think of yourself. And I think, you know, his interactions with Bones and the fact that they are both good friends to Kirk. That he allows him to admit that respect that he has for Bones and to accept the things that he's saying you know, when he's saying, you know, obviously you're on a personal level, you are more upset about leaving Starfleet and leaving Ohura than you want to admit. But they get in that situation where he's, you know, put in a position where he has to kind of admit that and be honest with himself. And I think that those interactions especially make this movie feel like an original series movie. And I personally feel like the Spock at the end of this movie is the Spock that I recognize from the original series movies. Mm-hmm. You make really great points there. A hundred percent agree. Um, and you did a really good job of like tracking his arc. And I liked where he ended up at the end of this movie. And I think part of what made it feel more tied in for me was that he didn't just feel connected to, like, Kirk and to Uhura, but he felt like he finally fit in with the crew. And uh, there was a moment in the last film, actually, that I wanted to bring up that I totally forgot when we were recording the episode, was um, when Spock takes command of the Enterprise and the ship is going down... And he orders um, people to abandon ship. No one on the crew listens to him. He is not like an... Like, it feels like he is very uh, separate from the crew of the Enterprise. And I think that were he in the same situation by the end of this movie... um, I think it would have had a very different outcome. Like he feels like he's finally like integrated and, and those connections have formed and um, it's all coming together. Finally, it feels like Star Trek again. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. So I agree. Yeah. I think Spock probably got the best arcing in the movie. Yeah, he has more to deal with than anybody else, though, I would say. So it was probably easier to write it. But yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like they, I mean, they definitely needed to kind of wrap up that, um, you know, the Spock Prime storyline with the death of Leonard Nimoy. So it, you know, obviously there would be an effect to Spock, you know, with his passing. I think that, you know, that they that obviously this is going to affect him and, and kind of the ways that it would affect him more than just, you know, oh, this person that I knew died. But, you know, literally my other self died after the destruction of my planet and how that, you know, affect the way that I view myself and my species and the work that I'm doing. So I think they addressed it really well. That is pretty much what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Kate gets to talk about what she wants every week here. You're the, <laughs> you're the guest, okay. Rachel. So, <laughs> no. I don't know. I think I've stayed quiet during some Jen rants sometimes. <laughs> Fair point, Kate. Um, do we want to talk about some of the different things that they tried to do to be progressive? I like how you like, word that. <laughs> Well, they made the decision that 
was a little bit controversial to make Sulu gay in this universe. Yeah, which is fine. Like, I disagree with that word controversial. Well, okay. I, it doesn't matter, like, that he's gay. It's fine. But there was a lot of controversy about it when they did it. Put it that right. way. I'm sure it matters. Like, it does matter that they did that. Mm-hmm. I just don't think, especially to people who are gay and Star Trek fans, I'm sure that was fabulous for them to see uh, some representation in there. But I, A, don't, like, I don't think it was... Oh, and also it was probably really nice for George Takei. Takei? No, he was vocal in his opposition to the idea. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with that man? Um, he, like, well, because in his mind... I'm not making Sulu, up that he is gay, right? No, he's gay. No, he's gay. Look, George Takai is gay. But okay, Sulu cool. was not gay. But, okay. So, like, he was like, well, are they making this person a gay character because I'm gay? But I, it, like, he's not, you know, like... Because somebody's played by a gay man, does that mean they have to be a gay person? Because, I mean, then I I think that Zachary Quinto is also gay. So shouldn't Spock be like, you know, like... Well, I don't think that's why they did it. I just thought he would have... Okay, well, that aside, him being weird. Like, I do think it is... um, Like, I'm sure gay Star Trek fans appreciated that. But, and and like seeing um, representation in, Mm -hmm. you know, their fandom... Um, but also, it was such a throwaway moment. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it had no... I guess it is kind of a... No. I don't know. It's not like uh, in Discovery, where we get to see them having a relationship. That That's sort of why I'm not... I'm just kind of like, whatever about it. I did like it, and I'm glad it happened. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it it just seemed like something they threw in there for I'm not saying that you need a reason to make people gay because you absolutely do not but it just didn't seem to be I don't know if I'm getting my point across and I don't really know how to say it without sounding like I'm saying you need a reason to make somebody gay and that's not what I mean but you know what I mean? I know what you mean I want to say as a Star Trek fan um (laughs) if I'm going to phrase this well either I appreciate the representation, you know, just as a fan seeing, um, you know, the actual population represented on screen. I think that that's, I'm hundred percent behind that. And I also feel that it was a, while I don't think that they made Sulu gay because of George Takai, but I think that it's also a good, I'll say a nod, but towards, you know, not George Takai and Zachary Quinto, who is gay. You know, like, you know, we have actors on, you know, in our movies that are gay. Why, why not have a character who is gay? And they did it in, you know, in such, you know, such a, like you said, a throwaway almost, you know, just a little scene, you know, very different than the way they did it in Discovery, which is fine. You know, both, both are fine. Um, I, I appreciated it, and I did also appreciate. Um, Zachary Quinto had some things to say after George Takai came out and was very, you know, against it. Again, specifically against making Sulu gay, if I recall correctly, that was his argument. You know, Sulu's not gay. That thanks, but no thanks, or something like that. And Zachary Quinto's response, which I thought was very um, well put. You know, he was very gracious about it. He said. I'm really sorry that he feels that way. You know, I think that people expected him to be a little bit more behind having that character, you know, as a gay man. But we in the cast and the writers, you know, really felt that it was something that we needed to have in Star Trek. And as a gay man, I appreciate seeing it. I appreciate seeing it as something that I'm a part of um, acknowledging characters in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make what I said earlier sound like I didn't appreciate it being no, there. I yeah. did, and I'm very glad it was there. I just think they could have done a better job with it. Yeah, I'm on the same page with that. Like I, I appreciate it being there, and I'm all for greater representation in Star Trek. Here's how it needs to still be even better. 
that, well, okay, one of the problems is that um, there's still not a lot of Asian representation in uh, Hollywood or movies in general. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a lot of the times Asian characters, Asian males especially, are um, portrayed in a way that they are not the heterosexual lead. Um, they are demasculinized often. So they picked one of the only like Asian main cast characters and made him gay. And it's not a problem if you have more representation of both Asian characters and gay characters. My second issue is that the Star Trek film, despite having this one little scene, is still incredibly heteronormative. Um, the main love interest scene is with um, Spock and Uhura. And then also, like, Kirk has this great little montage scene while there's the he's doing his log. And they show these cute little, like, um, cute in air quotes, please, <laughs> um, scenes where people are, like, you know, noticing each other and coupling off and having these spats. And they're all heterosexual relationships. Yeah. Like, if you want to throw in some additional diversity throw in some more there as well um because otherwise it like there there are, were ways to increase it and do even better which i'm i'm glad that discovery is is picking up on and further pushing that the um the representation that we have yeah and i will say uh insofar as um your point about asian men being demasculinized and that mm -hmm. is a problem in uh, North American media. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen a movie with an Asian, a North American movie, with an Asian gay man. So I was okay with that. Like I liked the. Like mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of people out there who wanted to see that, so that didn't bother me. But I understand what you're saying about how they did just sort of need more representation on both sides of mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. That's that's a good point. I think. In a way, the original series' attempt at diversity was kind of a, a detractor because they were very set on keeping every keeping the race and genders that everybody had in the original. So, you know, you had to have that one Asian man and that one black lady, mm -hmm. and they couldn't, like, just cast people, you know? I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then the last thing on my notes to talk about which we talked about a little bit already, is the general depiction of women in this. And they did much, much better, I thought, in this movie than in either of the previous two. I mean, there wasn't really anywhere to go but up. <laughs> well, yeah. That's true. But yes, they did. And now I'm going to embarrass myself and... Why why did I think that Jayla was played by Jennifer Lawrence? I don't know. Neither do I. I I have no idea where this came from. I thought it was Jennifer Lawrence playing Jayla. Well she's got she's got dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody else in Hollywood does. Uh. <laughs> I got to the end of the movie and was like I'm I'm like I am DBing it. I'm looking and I'm like, wait, that huh? And I was so confused and I was like, why was I thinking that Jennifer Lawrence was in this movie? But the actress who did play Jayla, I thought did an excellent job. Um had great fight scenes. Yeah. She was a capable engineer. Um and got to wear clothing the whole time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which you know, it shouldn't be a major coup for a woman in a film, but it still is. I I liked her also, and I liked that she wasn't immediately a, a Kirk love interest. Yeah. That she had more going on than that. That was nice. Or a love interest for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, her not being a love interest, I thought was just fantastic. Because there's so much more to her character than her, you know, her physical looks. I mean, I think... She's an, a very attractive actress and a very attractive alien, you know, as far as that goes. But they focused on her capability, um, you, just even from the beginning. You know, she saves Scott 
Scotty and and he's all you know trying to like oh well you know trying to uh, I don't think that he was hitting on her but he was kind of like you know I'm an engineer and she's like yeah I know what that is thanks like she didn't have any time for him and his mansplaining she already knows um, and he is and when he's when they get to her house and he sees you know you know the ship and all this stuff and he's he's impressed um you know he's just impressed with her her skills not that she knows this stuff because she's a girl he's just impressed with her as a person and i really really appreciated that yeah i liked that because they really easily could have gone in the direction of him hitting on her all the time and belittling her and they they didn't so that was really good I also feel like she's a lot younger, so that would have been kind of creepy. Okay, I'm going to open it up to any more comments. Is there anything else people wanted to address? Um, I just wanted to say that there's absolutely no way in any universe ever that Chris Pine could have beat up Idris Elba. I will never (laughs) believe that. (laughs) That was the most unrealistic part of this whole movie. Traveling through space? Fine. Chris Pine beating up Idris Elba. Mm-mm. I would agree. And actually, um, kind of piggybacking off of that, specifically Idris Elba, who I think did a fantastic job in this movie. But um, while we're talking about um, diversity and representation, I have seen some criticism, and this is more of a general, not specific to this movie, but about um, actors and actresses of color playing larger roles um and also like they're pointing out you know when they do get the bigger like villain roles they put them they put actors of color under prosthetics and face paint so that they are not recognizable as the actor of color which is kind of something that i've started paying more attention to um and again i i don't know that it was i'm not going to say that it was intentional. I think, you know, Idris Elba is a great actor and I think he did, as I said, a good job in this role. But, you know, most of the time you couldn't tell who it was. And that is, I think, something that I am noticing in Hollywood, you know, when when we're getting these actors of color that um, we're not actually seeing them. So they're not, they're not as visible. So it's, it's kind of a very interesting sociological uh, aspect of of that whole thing. (laughs) And a specifically problematic part of um, sci-fi movies or monster movies when they do that is that people of color are still consistently getting um, codified as other. So the white actors are the default still and the hero. And then it's still this very othering, exoticizing of um, people of color. Even even when they play good guys, like in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Zoe Saldana mm-hmm. is all green. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is Zoe Saldana. Yes, right? yes. Yes, it is. Okay, good. <laughs> Just had yes. this moment of doubt. And, like, uh... and she's also in the, um, um, you know, Steve, the, the James Cameron movies. You know, she's blue. When she's not green, she's blue. Oh, right, yeah, 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 in um, yeah. Avatar. I've forgotten about that. Okay, Rachel, is there anything else you wanted to add about the movie? I don't think so. Um, like I've already mentioned that it's, you know, it's my favorite Star Trek, so I'm, I really hope that, they, that we get a fourth. <laughs> um, because of this movie, after the third movie, I do hope that we get a fourth, but I'm not really sure the status of that. Okay, I'm going to jump into some of the Easter eggs that they threw in there. So, and I think it's very likely that I have missed some lines. Uh, So, if there's one that I don't mention, uh, let me know and we'll try and include it in another episode. It's just I kind of watched the movie in three different segments, getting interrupted by children. Um, Oh... I can see Rachel's adding some to my list. Excellent. Um, So right at the beginning of the movie, there's a moment where Kirk's shirt gets ripped and he mentions it. And 
was a hilarious Easter egg for me because as I have talked to Kate before about on the podcast, Kirk's shirt getting ripped is this recurring thing that happened in the original series. And like he opens his closet at one point and you can see this like row of identical uniform shirts because his shirt's always getting ripped. And so I thought that was just a hilarious little Easter egg in there. I thought of you when he said, my shirt's ripped again. Yeah. Um, the female uh, Commodore, who is talking to Kirk about being Vice Admiral and all that, um, her name is Commodore Paris, which is actually a link to the Voyager series, um, because I believe that is um, an ancestor of Tom Paris. Um, in this one, they made McCoy uneasy with being transported, which was a common uh, part of his character. That was one of his defining things, is he didn't like the idea of being ripped apart and put all back together again. McCoy ha also had a good line with, you green-blooded ingrate, and uh, he often calls out Spock as a green-blooded something or other. And then Spock also is looking through Spock Prime's belongings and reveals a crew picture of the original series, which I'm pretty sure was from Star Trek II. And then I'm going to let Rachel mention these ones because they were ones that are new to me. Okay, so I added uh, when Scotty is talking about the disappearance of the USS Franklin, he says... Some people think that they were captured by the Romulans. Some people think that they were abducted by a giant green space hand. And I don't remember the exact episode, but there is an original series episode where there's like, I think it's a giant face actually, but maybe there's also a giant hand. So I'm fairly certain that that's a throwback to that episode. Um, I'm not sure what episode it is. If I'll, if I, if I can look it up and figure it out, I'll let you know. And then also, um, a little wink to Scotty f somewhere on the Franklin finds a leather jacket and is just wearing it. It looks really good on him, but that is a throwback to search for Spock, which is the, the third original series movie. Um, when they all um, off the books get together and go search for Spock, they're, they're all in their like civvies, their you know, civilian clothing. Sulu is wearing a cape, <laughs> but Scotty is wearing a leather jacket that looks a lot like the leather jacket that Scotty is wearing in Star Trek Beyond. That was a really good catch because I never would have noticed that. One other one that I caught was when Idris Elba is going on about, like, all the stuff he's gone through for the Federation, like, all the wars. He mentions the Romulan War and the Zindi War. And the Zindi War is what part of the background and what happens in Star Trek Enterprise. So that's another one that I forgot to add to my list. I obviously didn't notice anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, I forgot to tweet out to elicit some uh, listener comments for the movie, so we didn't have a lot. But we did get a couple of tweets after last week's episode from Jacob Sanders at Triple Three Fourteen, and he was asking what we thought of the Klingon makeup from Star Trek Into Darkness. And he says, to me, the Discovery Klingons look like the Kelvin Klingons, but turned up to 11. Now, I can't remember if we talked about it at all on the podcast last week, but I don't, I think, don't think we think did. We did. Hmm? I don't think we did, which is rare for us. Usually we like to talk about how the Klingons look. Well, there was... Yeah, I... They were in such a small part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the Klingons were the main um, antagonist. So I kind of didn't focus on them very much. Also, you were very upset. Well, I was. There was, there was bigger fish to fry than the alien makeup. 
choices that they made. So I was not a general fan, although I would rank that I would rank the Klingons in Star Trek Into Darkness as definitely being above the Klingons in uh, Star Trek Discovery and the original series. Maybe I should do a ranking one day of the Klingon makeup choices. <laughs> my, my favorites. <laughs> like, just put them all in order for people. I really love the idea of you spending your spare time with this. <laughs> Klingons. <laughs> well, I think the Klingons have changed the most throughout different iterations of Star Trek, so... How would you even, like, research that? Like, pull up all the pictures? Yeah, I'd pull up all the pictures. This is hilarious in my head. (laughs) The children would interrupt you. You'd be like, no, this is very important work. (laughs) I think in the next Star Trek series, they should redesign the humans. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) That is a fabulous idea. Kate, did you want to bring up the con issue from last week since you're the one who remembered it so last week i had meant to bring up uh to discuss some of the racial issues around the character of khan whose name is oh shoot i don't remember his middle name but i believe his last name is singh Mm -hmm. and they cast a white man to play him and in the original i believe i looked it up last week and it was a latino man that they had playing him I think. So it was nice, I guess, that it wasn't a white guy, but it certainly was not a man who would be named Khan Singh. And now at the same time, uh, especially in this particular time period in our lives, it would have been almost worse to cast a brown man as a terrorist, uh, racially speaking. So... I don't really know what they could have done there, but it's really just another another argument to not do the con storyline because it's just a problematic character all around. Okay. So I guess next up is the fortune cookie. And Kate, since Rachel's our guest, why don't we let uh, of course. let her pick who the fortune cookie will be going to? Yep, yep. Okay. Um Let's go with Uhura. Okay. So here's the fortune for Uhura. So for her, the fortune reads, Your worries shall soon be dispelled. That's pretty good. Which is a nice fortune for her. I like it. I mean, I guess that sort of fits. Yeah. It's not terribly humorous. No. No. Kind of not funny. If anybody out there has a... Uh, a funny fortune for us, you can send us those too. I guess it would have been funnier for that to be for Bones. Because I don't <laughs> think that would ever happen for him. <laughs> I did also just want to throw in a quick... Um, I guess, apology? That... Uh, I, I last time mentioned that... Oh, I don't remember his real name now. Shoot, the actor who played Chekhov... Um, Anton Yelchin? Yeah, there we go. Died before he could film this movie, and I was incorrect. He died before it was released. So obviously we did get quite a bit of him in this movie. Right. Which I was very thankful to be wrong about. Yes. And now I think it's time for the part that I always panic at... Which is recommendations. Okay, uh, I'll start, I guess. I I will just recommend that everybody go see uh, The Last Jedi, which I'm sure everybody's going to already has, but whatever. As once again, a good showcase of projects being better without J.J. Abrams. And also just a a good fun sci-fi romp. I again have no idea what to recommend. How about we force Rachel to go next, and then you can think about it. Okay. 
Nobody said we had to be gracious hosts. <laughs> That's okay. Um, well, first of all, I have not mm. seen Star Wars yet. I am a huge Star Wars fan, but I have not seen it yet. I'm going to see it Friday. I'm waiting to see it with family. So, um, you know, not everyone who's going to see it has seen it. I'm going to see it. Um, as far as recommendations go, um, I am going to recommend a series of books, um, starting with A Darker Shade of Magic. It's called the Shades of Magic series by V.E. Schwab. It, the last, the third and last book in the series came out earlier this year. Um, if you like fantasy and strong female characters and magic and multiple Londons, you should definitely check out these books. They're super well written and they're really fun. Uh, they're one of my favorite reads. I think I'm about to start reading them. So that, and then also, I will also recommend if you haven't seen Nona Earp, go watch it. The first, I think both seasons are on Netflix in Canada. But the first season is on Netflix. It's one of my favorite shows. It has, shares a lot of DNA with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So if that's your thing, check it out. It's a little bit cheesy, but it's got some great mustaches. Okay, Rachel was recommending some books and some TV series to watch. So I will also recommend books by the author that I'm currently reading. I'm reading Beck McMaster, and she writes romance, and particularly like a steampunk Victorian style, and it's a little odd because usually I, I'm not a big fan of uh, romance involving vampires and werewolves, but she's actually created a universe with vampires and werewolves that I don't hate. Um, so it's kind of nice for me to be able to be reading about that and not getting turned away. So yeah, steampunk, romance, vampires, werewolves. Uh, the universe is very well put together. Um, the stories are very compelling. And I'm only on my second novel by her so far, but really enjoying it. I've read the first two in that series. They were good. Oh, yeah. A long time ago. I never went back to that. Maybe I should. Okay, so... I want to say thank you very much to Rachel for coming on the show. With our Kate and my having strange shift work and, you know various responsibilities. <laughs> I honestly wasn't certain if we were going to be able to get anyone's schedule to line up with ours at all, since it's an odd time to be recording. So thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on the show and talking Star Trek with us. And... Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, did you want to let people know where they can find you on the internet? Yes. Um, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity. I do love to talk Star Trek, and I like to be able to talk Star Trek with more than just my dad. Um, so, so that was great. I'm glad that we got it to work out um, with schedules and technology. So, yes, you can find me on Twitter at GypsyBookNerd and you can also find my podcasts um, on Twitter at DDWCast for The Detective, The Doctor, and The Woman, and at Wonking Out for The Wonking Out Podcast. Okay. And uh, don't forget that for our podcast, you can send us comments uh, by Twitter at a command of her own or email a command of her own at com <laughs> let me try that again um or by email a command of her own at gmail.com and please rate and review us on apple podcasts and help other star trek fans find our community 
Um, I remember we're taking next week off, and I just want to say a quick either Merry Christmas if you celebrate, or have a great long weekend if you don't, and we'll see everyone in the new year. That's right. And is this the awkward bye? This is this is awkward bye, yeah. Okay, so. Bye. Bye. Good, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I think we really derailed that one. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's I'm good. just gonna leave it. We're gonna leave it like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I'm going to say that without a cookie in my mouth.